1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Uh, thanks, Evangeline, for reading the Bible for us. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Daryl. If you haven't met me before, I'm one of the pastors here at Abbotsford Presbyterian. I can encourage you to keep your Bibles open to page 1834, 1 Thessalonians 1, just in case you've lost the page. And just a reminder that there won't be question time tonight because we're having the forum. Now, this letter to the Thessalonians, it's nearly 2,000 years old. It's addressed to a church that's situated in the capital city of Macedonia. So even though this letter may seem so far removed from us, people who live in Sydney in the year 2019, God has some real important things to say to us. And there's some really important things that we need to hear from this letter. Before we get starting, before we start unpacking this chapter of 1 Thessalonians 1, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you help me to explain your word clearly and faithfully tonight. We pray that you will shape us by the gospel, just like how you did with the Thessalonians. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a primary school kid, my parents put me through tennis lessons. But once I hit high school, I said to mum and dad, Hey, mum and dad, I don't need tennis lessons anymore. I'm good. I've got it from here. Now I could hold my own in the game, but as I look back now, I could see that it was my ignorant pride that got me to say that I didn't need lessons. I jumped forward 25 years. I've got two daughters now. And like my father before me, I'm putting them through tennis lessons. Now my wife Eddie tells me that Madison and Tyler's coach is a really good coach and that I should get a lesson. And there again was my ignorant pride. I don't need lessons. I play just fine. But Eddie convinced me to have just one lesson. And so I reluctantly agreed. And when the tennis coach was putting me through my paces, uh, he says to me, Hey, Dal, we've got a lot of work to do. And then I won't forget what he said next. He said, Hey, Dal, just one quick tip. Just change your forehand grip just like this and give it a swing. 
And so I did what he said. And what happened next was nothing short of remarkable. I fired a forehand in a way that I never fired one before. And what was the weakest part of my game was changed in a second to be a formidable weapon. Uh, incidentally, the coach said to me, Hey, Dal, you're using the continental grip for your forehand. No one uses the continental grip these days. That was done away with when we did away with wooden rackets. When you're living in ignorance and then you encounter the truth, the truth will profoundly change you and change you for the better. Uh, the Thessalonians, there were a bunch of people who used to live in ignorance. But through Paul, they were confronted with the truth about Jesus. And in this chapter, Paul recaps how these Thessalonians became Christians. And how their lives were changed by, the, by that truth. Now you might be here tonight, and you're still checking out Christianity. You may think you've got a fairly good idea of what a Christian is, but maybe there are a couple of aspects that you're not too sure about. Or maybe you're here and you are a Christian. But at the moment you might feel that life as a Christian might seem a bit sluggish. might not be as exciting as it used to be. Where being a Christian just doesn't seem to have that spark anymore. No matter who you are, as we look at 1 Thessalonians over these next six weeks, well, you might come to realize that there are some things that you've been ignorant on. And just like me with those tennis lessons, well, tonight might be the night when you encounter the truth of what it is to be a Christian and you'll see what real change is and how that comes about. Uh, we're going to see two main things tonight. Firstly, we're going to see how the Thessalonians were saved by the gospel. And then secondly, how the Thessalonians were changed by the gospel. But firstly, some context to this letter. Uh, Acts 17 tells us that the Apostle Paul traveled to Thessalonica as part of his missionary journey, and he started a church there. But almost immediately... While the church was still new, certain Jewish leaders start a riot against the Christians and Paul and his friends are forced to leave the city. Now Paul's really worried about the Thessalonians because they're so young in the faith. So he sends his 2IC, Timothy, to check on see how they're going. And Timothy comes back and tells Paul that these Thessalonians are doing really well. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage the Thessalonians to keep going in their faith given that they live in a city that's hostile to Christianity. And so the first thing Paul wants to do in this letter is to thank God that he has saved them by the gospel. Uh, Paul reminds them of how they became Christians. That it was through the truth about Jesus. The truth that through Jesus' death and resurrection we are all saved from God's judgment for our sins. And in verses 4 and 5, Paul underlines the fact that it's ultimately God who has saved them. Now please have a look at verses 4 and 5 when he says this. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you 
Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And did you notice God's role in saving the Thessalonians? And he was the one who loved them. He was the one who chose them. He was the one who enabled them to hear the gospel and, can be, and be convicted by it. You see, at the end of the day, it's all because of God that people come to know Him, that people come into a relationship with Him. But also notice that even though God does all the saving, God uses people to communicate His gospel message. And do you notice that it, the gospel message, it doesn't come through just with words. It comes through the lives of the messengers as well. Now please have a look at the rest of verse 5 and verse 6 says this. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So through the lives of Paul and his friends that the Thessalonians understood the gospel. And in turn, they imitated Paul. Now notice, it wasn't easy for these Thessalonians to become Christians. And given they live in such a pagan city, they would have been given such a hard time for being a Christian. They would either be ridiculed for making that choice, or even ostracized by their family and friends. But despite that, they still welcomed the message. And that's only possible because of the Holy Spirit working in them. And the result of all this, they experienced the joy of having a relationship with God. Now for us as Christians, we may find it hard to share the gospel with our friends. Uh, we might think that we don't actually have the right words to say, and so we shy away from the opportunities that God gives us. But God's Word is reminding us tonight, it, it's not only through words, it's through our very lives that communicate the Gospel as well. Uh, but remember, at, at the end of the day, it's God who works in people for them to welcome the message, for them to be changed by the message. So while there's ways for us to always get better of how we verbally communicate the gospel, well, please don't be afraid to open your mouth and see what God does through you. But make sure that you walk the walk that backs up your talk. And make sure you keep relying on the only one who can bring power and conviction to your words. And with God backing you up like that, oh, you can be bold. You can be confident in sharing your faith with other people whenever God gives you the opportunity. Now, the second thing that Paul says in this passage is that a Christian is someone who's changed by the gospel in everything they do. And Paul goes on to talk about three changes in the life of the Christian. And the first way is how the gospel changes how you live. Now please have a look at verse 3 with me. It says this. 
We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, welcoming the gospel message isn't just about intellectually agreeing with the message, but involves letting that truth change how you do life. And the way that you changed is, well, your faith will change the things you do. Your love will change the reasons why you do it. And your hope will change how you respond when things get hard. Now let's look at each one briefly. Firstly, your faith. If God's the one that we trust and who we owe our lives to, then it will mean that as we go about doing what we do, whether it's our work or our study or looking after family, whatever it might be, we know that it's God who we're now serving. And because we're serving God, well, it prompts us to do things for the benefit of others because that's what He wants us to do. And secondly, your love. Because God's love for us was the driving force for Him to sacrifice His Son on the cross for us, well then, in turn, His love will be the driving force for us to labor, for us to work hard for the sake of others. Thirdly, your hope. Our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His return, will enable us to hang in there when we face opposition, when we face hardship, because we know that what we're going through right now won't be forever. And that there is something that will go on forever, which is heaven, a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness, a place that's so much better than here. Now, if you look at this description of the Thessalonians, let me ask you, Does this describe your faith, your love, your hope? Because if it doesn't, if you're finding that your faith doesn't produce good works, if you're not prompted by your love to labor for others, if your hope doesn't help you endure, then it may be time to go back to the gospel again and to remember that God has chosen you, that he loves you, and that you are His for all eternity. The second way in how the Thessalonians have been changed by the gospel is how they have to become a gospel model to others. Now we saw before that when Paul and his friends shared their lives with the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians imitated them. But as the Thessalonians owned the message for themselves, they in turn became models to other Christians to follow. You see, the imitators became the imitated. Now please have a look at verse 7 and 8 with me. Verse 7 says this, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So, just like a Netgear router, the thing that you all have in your homes, 
that takes the signal from the internet and transfers it to all the other devices ready to receive it. The Thessalonians were first century routers as they transmitted the gospel message that they received to others. And they did it with their lives. And it seems like everyone was hearing about these Thessalonians, about their joy in the midst of opposition, about their faith, about their love. You see, the Thessalonians embodied the gospel. The gospel became so part of who they were that the gospel message rang out from them. And that's the thing. For us as Christians, whether you're in a leadership position or not, you're always going to be watched by someone else. You all here are either parents or grandparents, uncles or aunties, or you might be someone who just holds a position of influence over someone else. And so you'll always be watched. you always will be imitated. Can I ask you, what are people seeing in you? Does the message of the gospel ring out from you. The final way of how the Thessalonians were changed by the gospel is that they changed their allegiance from the false gospel gods that they were worshipping to the true God. Now please have a look at verse 9 and 10 with me. It says this. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You see, the gospel frees us from the the futile and the empty life of serving idols, to serve the God who is real. And now the idols back then, in the Thessalonian days, it was just a bunch of lifeless statues. But for us here in the 21st century, that's not our problem. We don't worship little statues. But we do have other things that we let take the place of God. And that's still idolatry. And that slavery that we can be under can be just as empty and just as lifeless as slavery to little statues. You see... Being people who live in the inner west. Uh, the idols for us can come in so many forms. It can be our obsession with our careers or our study or with our relationships, even our holidays. Now, all these things, they're all good things for us to enjoy. They're blessings that God has given us. But it can become a bad thing when they demand an allegiance that's due to God alone. But how do you know if something that's good has become an idol? Well, if it's something that's not helping us serve God, but instead it, it's become the, the central thing in our lives, where everything else fits around it, where it's the thing that gives us our sense of purpose and self-value, Well, that's when you know it's become an idol. And the thing is, all these good things, they were never meant to take that central place. And ultimately, they will disappoint. 
Because they can't deliver anything that can last forever. Because it's only a matter of time when you get a bad KPI rating on your performance review or a relationship lets you down. You don't do well in a subject at uni. Or you just have a holiday that just doesn't hit the mark. And if we're holding these things so tightly as our source of meaning or purpose or identity, well, it won't be long until we get crushed and become bitter. But Jesus is the only one who will never disappoint, who will give you the meaning you're looking for, who will give you the security of knowing who you are as a person who's loved by God. You see, putting Jesus in the center will never leave you crushed. But instead, it will give you joy, no matter what happens in life. And that's the thing. Jesus will give you the thing that will last for eternity. So being a Christian means making that decisive break of not being slaves to that, those other things, but instead looking to serve God allowing Him to call the shots of how we're to use these good things for His glory. So are there still things in your life that you're treating as an idol? Where they're taking God's place? What are the things that you need to make that decisive break from so that you can live the truly free life of serving Jesus? We've seen from God's Word tonight how the Thessalonians model Christianity. And like them, the truth of the Gospel will totally change us as we keep trusting in Jesus as our King. Because that's the thing about truth. The truth can change you. Uh, Ten years ago, Eddie told me that it's time for us to upgrade our Nokias, our Nokia 3120, to iPhones. And I was initially skeptical. I, I said to Eddie, why should I change my phone? I've, I've, phone that I have, I've had this phone for so many years, and I'm, you're asking me to change it to something I have no idea about. Why do I need to change? But she convinced me in the end, and I reluctantly agreed. Yeah, I know, it's like the tennis lessons all over again. You, know, you think I was learnt the last time. Anyway, it was within a week of changing my allegiance from Nokia to Apple that my life totally changed. And no longer did I hate waiting in queues. No, I love queues. There are extra opportunities to read my email, check Facebook, make a chess move. Now, if I think of something I had to do and I can't write down down with a pen, I just talk to Siri and, she'll, uh, and I'll get her the email to my to-do list. Life with the iPhone is so totally different to what life was like before. And I love life now. You know, the gospel is so much more significant than an iPhone. And the change that the gospel brings is even bigger. And so if, if something so small can revolutionize our lives, how much more can the gospel truth, the truth that saves us from God's wrath, the truth that saves us into eternal life with Him forever. 
how much more can that truth change our lives completely and change it for the better? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the one who has chosen us. You're the one who's loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. We thank you it's because of that we can be rescued from the coming wrath and have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Heavenly Father, we pray that this gospel that we have will continually change us. That we will turn away from all the idols in our lives to solely serve you as we wait for your return. And we pray that you will grow us so that our faith will produce good works, that our love will prompt us to labor for others, and that our hope will inspire our endurance when life gets hard. And we pray that you'll keep changing us by the gospel so that we can be models of encouragement to others as well. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.